If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to actually take a Bible uh, and turn to John chapter 9. And it, um, we are looking at just a series of just looking at Jesus, just seeing uh, how Jesus was through the Gospels as the main character of all these, in many ways, these um, passages that we're going to look at to help us see Jesus. And this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 9, which is a long chapter, and the chapter is the whole account. And so I'm going to read uh, the first um, seven verses, and then we'll go through the rest of them as we go along. But John chapter 9 says this, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Then I'm actually going to read verses 35 to the end. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, for that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thanks for this morning. Lord, thanks for Lord, this church, Lord, thanks for people willing just to gather and to worship and to serve together. Lord, thanks for bringing us together at the beginning of another week. Lord, thanks for Jesus, who's the light of the world. God, I pray you'd help us just to see you better this morning, that you'd encourage us through your word, you'd comfort us, you'd help us, you'd challenge us, and that you'd just teach us, Holy Spirit, that you'd guide us. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I got up Monday morning about 5 o'clock to uh, go downstairs, turn the TV on, and watch the Queen's funeral. Um, it's a historic event. I wanted to watch it. I wanted to see it. I got downstairs, turned the TV on, went upstairs to make some coffee, got up to the top of the stairs, and all of a sudden the lights um, just went out in our house. We lost power. For about three hours, um, we had no lights. I couldn't watch it. I couldn't look and I couldn't uh, see and I couldn't know what took place when the historical event of Queen Elizabeth's death. I, I didn't know what had taken place because it was pitch black, dark, 
in the house and outside. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 about Jesus, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. What I want us to do as a church for the next few weeks is just keep looking at Jesus. Samuel Rutherford, a couple hundred years ago, said, Let not Christ be low and lightly esteemed in the midst of us. That's what I don't want us to be as a church. There's so many things that a church can think it has to be or can be. But as followers of Christ, we want to be a church that where Christ is not low and not lightly esteemed. But that in the midst of us, he is very high and he is highly esteemed. But how does it happen that Christ can become very low and lightly esteemed? It happens when you stop looking. When we stop looking at Jesus. Someone said, what you, we see is what we be, and what will you behold is what you become. What you look at is what you will become. And there are a lot of things that we can look at. And we have an enemy, the Bible says, who wants us to look at many different things. And we need to constantly remind ourselves that our enemy, the devil, delights to make you very happy in things that will destroy you. He loves it for you to look at things that will destroy you. And Satan wants to blind you by the brilliance of the things that you see. We live in a world and a culture, especially nowadays, that is just filled with everything's about what you see and how we see things and very, very visual. Satan loves that because if he can get our eyes looking at very bright, brilliant things, he knows some of those very bright, brilliant things can destroy us. Satan wants to blind you by that brilliance, but Jesus wants you to see brilliance and what can never blind you, namely himself. First Peter 1.8 says, Though you have not seen me, speaking of Jesus, you love me. And though you do not now see me, see him, you believe in him, and rejoice with joy that it is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. None of us has physically seen Jesus, but Jesus can be seen. Jesus is visible to us. He, he says we can see him in the word. The Holy Spirit makes the word of God come alive to us so that we can see Christ. Paul Miller says, when we watch Jesus, we are watching God love us. So we need to look at Jesus. That's what we want. We need to know the love of God. We want the love of God. And last week we saw that Jesus looks Jesus initiates and Jesus acts. God, Jesus is the ultimate picture of love. He's the actual ultimate picture of who and what God is. And so when you look at Jesus, when we see Jesus, we're seeing God. And when we look and see Jesus, we are watching God love us. So why would we not want to look? And in John chapter 9 is an account of one more way of just looking and seeing Jesus. John chapter 9 is connected thematically to with chapter 8. If you read John chapter 8, it's the account of Jesus who is who's very bold. And he's very bold almost in this, this conflict he presented to the 
to the Pharisees and to the religious people, the, the, the massive church-going people of the day. And Jesus comes out in John chapter 8, and he almost starts kind of the conflict with them. And John chapter 8 is talking about the, the Feast of the Tabernacle, and there's the, the, the nation of Israel. They had many feasts. The Feast of the Tabernacle was um, around September, and the Feast of Dedication was around December. So this event that happened with Jesus and this blind man happened around October, so very much our time of year. And they were having the Feast of the Tabernacle, and when they had the Feast of the Tabernacles, all the people came to Jerusalem. They were worshiping. They were celebrating. One of the things that they would do in the temple court, they would rise up towards the end of the big feast, these days of feasting. They would raise these big poles. The priest would climb on top, and there would be gold, these four gold bowls filled with oil. And they would light them, and it would brighten up, and it would just light the night, and it would light up all of Jerusalem. And the people would dance, and they would celebrate around, and the Pharisees would just uh, rejoice, and they would dance and rejoice in God because it was a picture of the Shekinah glory of God. It was to help them remember what God brought them back from when he took them out of the nation of Israel, and God was with his people as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night. And when they would get there, they would just remember how God was with them, his presence with them, and they would celebrate this. And amidst this celebration, Jesus was there, and he's seeing the big celebration, he's watching everybody dance around, he's seeing the bright lights, Jerusalem is lit up, it's celebratory, it's supposed to be, it's a reminder of God's presence with them, and they're wanting to see it back, God is the light of the world, Psalms 27 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. And Jesus sees this, and he says in John's chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Well, you can imagine the Pharisees would be outraged by this. Who is this guy? Seeing the greatest celebration that the nation of Israel has, where they are remembering the greatness of God, they're remembering when God's presence was with them. This is good and wonderful. And here he comes in in the midst of that and says that he's the light of the world. He's not even 50 years old. And so there's this conflict that came up in those passages. But Jesus is the light of the world. He was saying to them honestly and truly that I am, I am bringing a new light from God into the world. I came to be the Savior of the world. I'm the Messiah. I am the one that you're all dancing and celebrating for. You're missing it. It's me. I'm the light of the world. For the Jews, the whole world was in remembering the presence of God, and they were missing that Jesus was God in their presence. Jesus is hope. Jesus is the light of the world. He says it again in John chapter 9. He's still the light of the world. And this morning, if you came in this morning, and you feel that your light is dim, or if you feel that you're losing hope, the drama of life is overwhelming you, that you believe, but it doesn't seem bright. It doesn't seem true that Jesus is the light of the world that all you're going through. It's true. Jesus is the light of the world. 
So in the midst of what you're going through, just keep praying. Keep pointing yourself to Jesus. And keep trusting. Keep, keep praying. Keep looking. And keep trusting in the midst of it. Because it's true. Jesus is the light of the world. And there was no greater way for Jesus to show and prove that he was the light in the world is after I have this conflict with the Pharisees in the temple where he describes that he's the light of the world. They didn't like that, but all these people were following him. It says in verse 9, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and they asked him, who sinned this man or his parents? That event took place. Jesus is walking out. He's walking around, and all of a sudden, he says he sees a man born blind. Jesus looks at people. This is what Jesus does. There, there's, it doesn't say that he went and talked to them. He didn't say he, he asked a question about them. It just says that as he passed ball by, he saw a man blind from birth. And somehow, the way Jesus looked at that man drew attention to him in such a way that all the other disciples started to look at him too. There was something in the look of Jesus that made everybody else say, I need to look over here too. Because Jesus looks at people. And when the disciples saw this man, they didn't know what to do with it. So they popped up with this question, who sinned? This man or his parents that he's born blind? Because it's not a bad question. Even the Bible does talk about that. There are consequences for sins, that sin brings suffering. It was kind of the idea of the day, and people back then even believed that a child could sin in the, the womb and have these defects. And so as the disciples saw, Jesus looks and sees a man who was blind from birth. And when the disciples look at him, they don't see a person. They see a question, they see a situation, and, and they, they, they think of a way that they have to analyze this person, which is in many ways, if we're not careful, this is what we do with people as well. We don't look at people. We see people, and then we try to analyze them, try to figure out why are they this, we, we just, we, then we just put them in a little box. That's what they wanted to do. Tell us who sinned, this guy or his parents, then we'll know where to place him. Jesus didn't even touch it. He wasn't there to analyze him. He didn't find a shelf to put him in. And if we're not very careful, we do that with people all the time. We look at people, we assess them. Are they for me? Are they for, against me? Are they going to help me? Are they not going to help me? What box can I place them in? I'm just going to move on with the rest of my life. Jesus doesn't do that. He looks and in his looking, he drew them into this question. He doesn't, Jesus doesn't even address the question. He, he says this man's not, wasn't his, wasn't his sin or his mother's sin. Jesus totally looked past their assumptions about the person. He says it wasn't their sin or, their, or his mom and dad's sin. It was so that the works of God could be magnified. Jesus, when he looks at people, he doesn't analyze them. He doesn't assume about them. He sees an opportunity for the great work of God in them. How do you look at people? Are you always just trying to analyze them, trying to put them on a shelf, trying to figure out what number they fit, what personality they're supposed to go in? I mean, that's what our culture does. 
Jesus doesn't do that. He, he, he looks and he sees them and then he initiates. The blind guy doesn't ask Jesus anything. But Jesus walks over there, he spits in the ground, he makes some mud, puts it on his eyes, and he says, go wash in the pool, which is about 70 yards away. And the guy does. He walks away, and when he walks away, he can see for the first time in his life. He sees. And he's so excited, he goes running home, and he's dancing around, and the people say in verse 9, it says, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he, he is like him. He kept saying, I'm the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Salome and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. He was so excited about what happened to him. He, he ran home with people that knew him. They just knew him as the beggar. They put him in a little box. And now he comes back and he's seeing and he looks like the beggar. And instead of just rejoicing with him, he goes through the system of interrogations. And that's what John writes for the next few passages is these interrogations that he goes through. First with the neighbors. These people, uh, they see him and they say, that's the guy. No, that's not the guy. No, it's, it's got to be his doppelganger. That's who it's got to be. I, mean, I was watching the Packers play the Bears last Friday. I know. <laughs> exactly. That's my point. And they show this guy from Germany who looks just like Brett Favre. No, Aaron Rodgers, whoever the loser, uh, the Packers quarterback is. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers, just looks like Aaron Rodgers, his doppelganger. They make a big deal about it. I thought, what a terrible way to live life if you have to look like a Green Bay Packer quarterback um, from the Chicagoland area. But this is what they thought. They thought this guy, nobody gets his eyes sight back, and they had no idea. They said, this is the guy. No, it's not the guy. It's got to be someone that just looks like him. And so they don't know what to do, but they just thought it can't be a guy who was blind who got his sight back. He's just the beggar. And they just put him in this box, which is exactly what Satan likes to do with us. He wants to constrict us. He wants us to look at people and box them up, and he wants us to be very constricted. I was up at Roseland on Wednesday morning talking to Miss Pearl. We were talking about the neighborhood, and she was telling me about how the area that she's at, there's all these obviously different gangs in Chicago, and a situation took place, and she goes, just how, how, how stupid is this? That from about a block up from her, Four blocks one way, and about three blocks the other way is the territory of one gang. And if any of the people who join that gang step across the street into another territory, they have to fear for their life. And she said to me, how stupid do you have to be to let that be the gang you want to be a part of, where you can't move more than 10 blocks for your life? This is what Satan wants to do. This is what we do with people. We box them in. We put them in a little say. This is what the neighbors did. They said, it can't be. He's the beggar. We're just going to leave him in that box. They don't know what to do with it. So they, they, he, he's saying it's them. And so they say, well, let's 
find out what the religious leaders have to say. Not in a negative way, they just thought, well, this is an amazing thing. Let's go find out what our religious leaders would help us figure this out. And so it says, another interrogation, verse 13, so they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight, and he said to them, he had put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them, so they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. And the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight And so they called his parents in. And they asked his parents, is this your son born blind? So they brought him in again. He tells them, I'm the guy. I begged over there. You all walked past me forever. Nobody ever noticed me. You knew I was the beggar. I'm the guy. And they said, it can't be the guy. And besides that, it's the Sabbath day. And so this Jesus couldn't have done it. It would have been made him ceremonial unclean to touch a beggar like you. He had to work to put the mud together. That's against the law. And they just boxed him in some more, and then they belittled him. They said, we can't trust you. Let's go ask your parents. It says in verse 18, they didn't believe that he had been born blind, so they had received his sight until they called his parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that he is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for they had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. And out of fear, his parents who knew this great miracle were afraid to be ostracized from their community, to be put outside the synagogue. Would have been, people would have no contact with you. And even though they were so excited, I'm sure, to see their son seeing, they were more afraid of the Pharisees. That they would belittle them, that they already had belittled their son. And so they said, just ask him. And so a third time, he gets interrogated by his neighbors, the Pharisees. They don't like their hearing, what they're hearing, so they do it again. Says So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why? Do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from and yet he opened my eyes? We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began 
Has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind? If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. For the third time, they're missing the person. And they're saying, it can't be. We, we, we listened to Moses. We, got, we had the Old Testament to listen. Nobody's opened a blind man's eyes before. They've already boxed this guy and they belittled him so much. The only thing left for them to do was just ban him, which is what they did. We don't like anything you're saying. We don't understand it. So we're just going to ban you. And they sent him out of the synagogue, which would have ostracized him. But pretty much in many ways made him just like before. Jesus looks and then he initiates and then he acts on behalf of people because he's filled with compassion and love. That's what love does. The Pharisees who knew their Bible were the religious leaders of the day. They looked, they initiated some questions and they acted and their response to send him back to where he was before. Just ban him. Put him back like a beggar, just like we never saw him before. We don't want to see him now. And then steps Jesus. And then Jesus came back. He heard what happened to him. And he found him. Which is an amazing thing. Jesus could have healed this man. Could have walked with him to the pool of Siloam and could have stayed with him the whole time and guided him and helped him all out. But he didn't. He healed him, and he let the man go. Because Jesus is never in a hurry. He's never in a hurry, and he values waiting. He's not rushing. You get so worried about what's going on in your life. You think it's got to go this way, it's got to go this way. But Jesus is never like that. He was ne- he's not in a hurry. He actually valued the weight. He let it happen. He didn't rush. Once he heard it happen, he went and found him. And he said that he heard that he would cast him out. And he says to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the guy hadn't even seen Jesus physically yet. And he answered him, who is he, sir, so that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you've seen him, and it is he who is speaking to him. And and he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And in that moment, he became a true follower of Jesus Christ, and Jesus let him worship him. Jesus' timing is always perfect. But this is what Jesus does when he comes into a life. Everybody else in this man's story, they they, they, they wanted to put him in a particular place. Leave him on the side of the road. There was no help. He's just a beggar. Let him do his thing, and we can just ignore him. We don't have to have any compassion. We don't have to care. We just can leave him over here because it's safe for us. It's less messy. It doesn't involve much of my time or or energy. Jesus comes in and says, I'm the light of the world, and I expose darkness, and I'm going to show you my power. And when Jesus' power came into this man and he was able to see, I mean, this guy is absolutely, there's a freeness to this guy. 
There is a fullness of joy in this guy. There's an absolute foundation. Here is this beggar who had no rights, no power, no authority, had absolutely nothing. In a moment, he meets Jesus. Jesus opens his eyes, and he is become a person who gets thrown in front of these leaders of the community and the, the religious society, and he speaks to them with authority. I mean, this guy's witty. He's intelligent. He's telling smart people, what? You, you don't know who Jesus is? You got, you got all these Bibles and books that you read, but you don't know who he is? Do you want to follow him? I mean, when you read that, this guy's got some confidence. There's something to this guy, which is what happens when Jesus comes into someone's life. He gives them this unbelievable freeness, this fullness of joy, this foundation. Jesus being the light of the world, he gives life. He makes and turns things around. The Pharisees hear this. Jesus has this conversation with them and says that he's the light of the world and you can believe in him. And Jesus says, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see me may see, and those who see may become blind. And he said it publicly. People were watching this. And some of the Pharisees heard these things, and they, and they said to Jesus, it offended them. And they said to Jesus, are, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. The Pharisees were self-righteous and they were self-satisfied. They didn't need anybody else in their life. They didn't want to deal with anybody else. They didn't see the light, even though they had all the scriptures in front of them. They missed Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the light and I can turn things around just like that and he takes a blind man who has nothing and then he presents them with this uh, he's he's witty he's intelligent he he shows full humanity he's given this guy great freedom here's what we need we need to recognize our need the problem with the pharisees is they didn't think they needed jesus they thought that they had the light. They thought they had Moses in the Old Testament, the scriptures, and they were missing it completely because they were self-satisfied, self-righteous. They didn't recognize their need that they could not come to God in any of their own strength. They needed somebody outside themselves. They needed Jesus. You wonder why maybe your life filled with Bible knowledge. You've been to Sunday school. You sat through Bible studies. You've gone to prayer meetings, and you're bored. There's no interest, no desire, no growth, no change. Could be because you don't recognize that you have this great need for Jesus. But you're filling your mind with information. But you're not coming to Jesus like a blind man desperate for help. We need to recognize our need, and then we need to just keep noticing. I mean, watch Jesus. Watch Jesus. Look what he did. He had a, he had a heart filled with compassion. 
And he let that lead him. Jesus was led fully by the Holy Spirit his entire life. And as he walks across and he sees that blind man, that's the blind man that the Holy Spirit said, that's the one I want you to talk to. That's the one I want you to heal. That's the one I want you to look at so other people will look at. We need to notice how God's moving, how Jesus is calling and leading you, and then lead and step into it and let the Holy Spirit lead you. Don't be fearful and don't refuse it, even if you don't understand it. Just notice what Jesus is calling you to do. Look at Jesus and act on it with compassion and with hearts desiring to make an impact. And then notify people. Let people know that Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the answer. That's what we're called to do. Jesus, go and make disciples, which means we have to go, we have to tell people, yeah, Jesus is actually the light of the world. All these brilliant things that you're looking at, the stock market, retirement plans, your home, your family, your toys. When you see people just obsessed with that stuff, they're like, this is the light for me. We are called to walk in and lovingly, compassionately say, no, Jesus, he's the light of the world. He's what you need. Jesus is the answer. Someone said, in order to be of service to others, we have to die to them. That is, we have to give up measuring our meaning and value with the yardstick of ourselves. To die to our neighbors means to stop judging them, to stop evaluating them, and thus to become free to be compassionate and share with them. We need to see our need, we need to notice Jesus, and we need to tell people that Jesus truly is the light of the world. And he gives life and true fullness of life. Charles Spurgeon said this, it's not our littleness that hinders Christ, but our bigness. It's not our weakness that hinders Christ, it's our strength. It's not our darkness that hinders Christ, it's our supposed light that holds back his hand. Jesus is the light of the world, so this week as you walk through it, just pray Pray that Jesus would open your eyes to see the things that Jesus sees. And as the Spirit moves, walk with compassion, serve, see your need, notify others, and notice what Jesus is doing. Let's pray.